Let's run it back. It's my favorite time of the year. We get to talk about cap savings and contract restructures. Let's go. You are Locked On Saints, your daily New Orleans Saints podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is good, Houdet Nation and Houdet family? I am your host, Ross Jackson, New Orleans native, your New Orleans Saints expert, credential member of the media covering those New Orleans Saints as a senior writer and reporter over at Saints News Network. And on today's episode of Locked on Saints, we're going to be taking a look at how the New Orleans Saints could potentially get ahead of the curve on the offensive side based on the current trends of NFL defenses. We're also going to be uh, continuing to explore our look at the changing of draft philosophies looking over at offensive tackle and why experience should be a big part of how the New Orleans Saints reframe their qualifications at the position, especially in the draft. And to get us all started, yeah, it's another contract restructure, and it's a big one. Derek Carr getting his contract restructured and freeing up a huge amount of money. We're going to break it all down, what it means for the Saints right now and what it means for Derek Carr and the Saints later. We got all that and much more on today's episode. We appreciate you very much as always for being an everydayer here on the show and for making Locked On Saints your first listen of the day every day here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So the New Orleans Saints restructured Derek Carr's contract, saving over $23 million up against their salary cap overages. And keep in mind, we still don't know what the salary cap is actually going to be here in 2024. It's expected to be somewhere in between 242 to 250 million dollars. Obviously, the higher that is, the better situation the New Orleans Saints are in. Now, how did the New Orleans Saints do this? Well, it's pretty simple, right? It's Derek Carr's contract. He was due 30 million dollars in terms of his base salary. You drop that 30 million dollars to 1.2 million dollars. That's the veteran minimum for people who have, or players rather, who have. Uh, at least seven accrued seasons in the NFL. Derek Carr has, what, 10? He just finished his 10th season. And so that's $28 million that you restructure and that you spread out over the course of the four years of his remaining contract or four years remaining on his contract, plus one void year that drops the $35.7 million cap hit all the way down to about $12.6 million. Boom, you save $23 million and some change as well. And there you go, right? Like, I mean, you've cleared with that one move nearly, we'll call it 25%, right? Just to just to give it like a nice number, you could potentially even say a third-ish, uh, somewhere in between there, of your salary cap overage just by making that one restructure move. So the New Orleans Saints, who started at the beginning of this month, probably around like $83 million over if the salary cap was around, let's call it $242 million. You can take additional $8 million off of that if it gets up to 250. I think it'll be probably somewhere between 245 to 250. We'll see exactly where, but hopefully we get that information soon. Um, then you have the restructure to Eric McCoy. That took another $7 million off. You have the restructure to Derek Carr, $23 million. So you save $30 million in 2024, right? This pushes money down the road and everything like that. But in 2024, You've already shaved $30 million off of your salary cap. So nearly half, if it's going to be 250 mil, um, a little over, let's call it, I don't know what's how do fractions work, two-fifths uh, if it's you know $242 million. So two moves in the Saints are in great, great position here to continue 
to uh, shed things away. And and next is probably going to be guys like Cesar Ruiz and Alvin Kamara. They'll have to make some decisions on guys like um, Cam Jordan, Demario Davis, when it comes to, to how much they want to restructure. Because you don't have to restructure all the way down to vet minimum. You can restructure whatever amount of money you want to as a part of that base salary and all. Uh, you know, you'll see what happens with Carl Granderson, Taysom Hill, and others. So we'll see. The Saints are going to be creative about how they handle all of this, no doubt. And then they have a couple of cut candidates, you know, Marcus May, who saves you $1.1 million. Um, Jameis Winston, if you if you make him a post-June 1 cut, um, he saves you some additional cash as well. So there's a couple of different ways for you to go with all of it. But uh, the Saints so far, two moves down, have already shaved off nearly half to two-fifths of what it is that their overage looked like. So they're in a pretty good position here. So now what does this mean for Derek Carr? Because remember, when you restructure money, you're taking money that was already sort of a part of the contract, and then you're committing it down the road. Does this mean that they couldn't potentially move on from him in 2025? And and look, here's the reality, okay? Um, I don't think the Saints are going to be moving on from Derek Carr in 2025 because I don't expect 2024 to go that poorly. But if 2024 goes so poorly, and if it's such a drastic situation to where you're at the point to where you're saying, okay, overhaul, coach is gone, quarterback's gone, you don't really care how much dead money ends up on the books for that one year as you're effectively signing up for a rebuild and not competing for that year anyway in that case. So you've got three, $39.9 million. Um, it, gets, it becomes a little bit tricky because there's a $10 million roster bonus that sets in for Derek Carr on the 15th of March this year for next year. So that potentially adds on to, to certain portions of that and all. But the, the fact of the matter is that it, it doesn't matter, right? And if you designate him as a post-June 1 cut, which you can do a little bit early next year, then you then it ends up being a situation to where it defers some of that money. It's $11.4 million in terms of what dead money you're taking on and all of that. So I think that the big thing that you're looking at here is that what this really is all about is creating salary cap for this year. If the Saints are in a situation to where they're cutting their starting quarterback ahead of 2025, then you're already in desperation mode anyway. And so the dead cap, who cares at that point? You know what I mean? Like you designate them a post-June 1 cut, save a little bit of money in terms of your 2025 salary. Um, you'll end up taking on some more cap hits in 2026 because of it and things like that. But if you're in desperation mode and if you're having to take, you're having to go to length so drastic anyway, because 2024 apparently went that poorly, then who cares? Who cares if that's what you're taking on? Like you'll deal with that, especially knowing that the salary cap's also, you know, boosting now every year anyway with TV deals and um, gambling money and left not no longer having to pay off stuff from the the COVID year where they borrowed a bunch from future salary caps and things like that kind of a lot like how the Saints borrow from their future salary caps when it comes to how they build their teams. How about that? So who? Yeah, it doesn't matter, right? So there's not, it, it's not a situation to where you're going like, oh, well, the Saints have done this. And so now they're completely committed to Derek Carr in 2025. They're committed to Derek Carr in 2025 if things go well. But if things go so poorly, you do what you have to do as a team to be able to get ready for your future. And if you do so poorly in 2024, maybe you're in striking distance of a rookie quarterback next year anyway. And so you can sort of counteract your dead money that you've taken on from moving on from your veteran quarterback by having a quarterback on a rookie contract that maybe you're starting at some point in 2025 or getting ready for 2026 
there's so many different possibilities around all of that, that there's not really a reason to look at this and go, oh, well, the Saints made a bad decision and now they're tied to Derek Carr. That's not necessarily the case. And you have to remember too, that the Saints are doing this with the expectation that being tied to Derek Carr is not a bad thing, right? That their expectation is that in 2024 in a quarterback-friendly Clint Kubiak system uh, with playmakers around and an offense that keeps its playmakers on the field and actually targets those playmakers and gets the ball in their hands, that Derek Carr is the quarterback that they'll want to have in 2025, not want to move on from in 2025. So again, the question around whether or not the Saints are tied to Derek Carr in 2025 comes down to how things are to how things, what the results of things are in 2024, which has a lot more to do with the shift in coaching staff and offensive system than it has to do with simply restructuring a contract. So the Saints open up another $23 million as they continue to chop wood, if you will, borrowing from Dennis Allen, trying to chop wood, get down underneath or, or get to the uh, compliant with the NFL salary cap, which we still don't know the number for uh, at this time. But uh, eventually, I think the Saints will get there. And oh, I know the Saints will get there. They have to. Uh, but it's going to be very interesting once they get through sort of the young players here, how they continue to move ahead with the veterans and what they decide is worth it when it comes to some of those restructures and cap gymnastics. I wouldn't be surprised to see if they go to some players and ask for pay cuts first and then go down the road of restructures if they need to. Hey, here's your opportunity to help the team compete in 2024. Are you willing to do that? Players can say no and then take the restructure and then be all good, but I wouldn't be surprised to see the Saints at least undergo that conversation in a couple of different areas. They did it last year with Jameis Winston. They also did it last year with um, with Andrus Pete as well, and it worked in both cases. So we'll see how things go for New Orleans, but as of right now, $30 million down and probably about another 50 or so million dollars to go. And of course, we'll continue to keep that up to date and broken down here on Locked on Saints very excitedly as this is my favorite time of the year, breaking down salary cap moves and contract restructures. Coming up next, let's take a look at how the New Orleans Saints could potentially reframe their philosophy around offensive tackle by adjusting one specific expectation, and that's experience. We got that coming up for you as we continue on with today's episode of Locked on Saints, part of Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of Locked on Saints is brought to you by our friends at Nissan. Are you the kind of driver that is always excited about what adventure is right around the next corner? Well, our friends over at Nissan have a fantastic lineup of SUVs that will help you make sure you have all the capabilities you need to take your adventures to the next level. Shout out Cam Jordan. So let's take a look here. You got the 2024 Nissan Rogue. It's perfect for city drives and great escapes. It's the versatility you want to see in this New Orleans Saints offense going into 2024. Perfect mid-size crossover for your next adventure, or you can go with the big guy, the Nissan Armada 2024 model, which will change everything that you expect from a full-size SUV. Uh, picture a rugged 4x4 that you can seat up to eight people in first-class luxury style. You absolutely love that and much more, including towing, as well as uh, you know a ton going on with that 2024 Armada. So take out that uh, Nissan Rogue, that Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada, and find your next adventure. Shop today at NissanUSA.com. All right, family, continuing on our series here, taking a look at how the New Orleans Saints could potentially shift their draft philosophies now with the coaching staff having been sort of reconfigured, reframed, redone, completely remade, really overhauled, if you will, 
Over on the offensive side of the football, we talked wide receiver yesterday and maybe being willing to kind of go against the grain when it comes to the size prototypes in favor of playmaking. Over at the offensive tackle spot, I think there's a valuable conversation to be had as well about making a shift in one specific area, and that's experience in terms of the expectations at offensive tackle. That's what we got coming up for you as we continue on here today. We appreciate you very much. Don't forget, we are your team every day. Um, Coming on Monday, probably around like 11 a.m. So that, that episode is going to release in the afternoon, kind of like this one. Uh, so don't be upset or don't be surprised if it's not like ready for you, like bright and early that morning. We got some stuff going on here and I'm going to make sure that I've got that out for like the afternoon. Uh, but that was going to be Mock Draft Monday. And we're going to focus on this same principle, experience, 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 especially when it comes to the offensive line. How can the Saints take advantage of that, especially in the first two rounds of the draft? So Let's break this down. So the the reason why I'm doing this series, in case you missed it, comes down to um, Dennis Allen's NFL report appearance with Steve Weiss and James Palmer, where James Palmer asked him a little bit about, hey, with the new offensive system and with the new offensive coaching staff, is this now an opportunity for you to maybe retake a look at draft philosophy, draft fits, and what you might be looking for based on what how certain players would fit into this new system versus the system that you've had in the past. And Dennis Allen was, you know, very kind of agree agreeable with that concept, uh, kind of reframed it and compared it to back in 2016 when he took over the defense and started to look at things like, you know, what kind of defense do we want to be? 3-4, 4-3, Seattle 3. Um, I think he used uh, New England single high as an example as well. And sort of building their identity on the defensive side, then going out and finding the players that fit that mold. Well, it sounds like the Saints are looking to do that over on the offensive side. So that's why we looked at wide receiver yesterday. I want to look at offensive tackle today, not offensive line, offensive tackle in particular, because look, the Saints have a bad rap in terms of what they've done in the draft in the past. Now they got a a, 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 a multi-year starter, nearly 10-year starter out of Andrus Pete, um, who just unfortunately couldn't stay healthy. Um, Trevor Penning is like teetering on that bust conversation though. Like the jury's still out there cause he didn't really get a lot of opportunity last year. It felt like the Saints just kind of gave up on him way too quickly. Uh, Ryan Ramchek was a home run for the team, but again, dealing with injury and dealing with sort of the long-term sort of effects in terms of what that means for his career. Uh, Eric McCoy wasn't a first round pick. He was a second round pick, but he's been solid at center. And then uh, Cesar Reese took a little bit of time, but once he got things under his belt after being drafted in that COVID year, he has started to take off, got that new contract, and is playing well at right guard. So when we really look at how the Saints have drafted on the offensive line, like you can pull Rick Leonard as an example, even though he wasn't a first round guy, Trevor Penning, and then maybe a couple of others that maybe you look at and go, okay, well, that didn't really work out. Uh, or or isn't really working out in, in Trevor Penning's case. But again, I think that's more about the Saints than it is about Trevor Penning, personally. Um, and then you look at some other guys like Nick Saldaveri, I think people are pointing out and going, well, we didn't see him at all his rookie season. Of course you didn't. Of course you didn't. There were like four, there were like three different players ahead of him. You, you never expected to see him in 2023. So now we'll see what happens with him in 2024, 2025, and moving forward. But as sort of unfair as maybe some of the hate is around how much the Saints have invested in their offensive line in the draft, there are still pieces of it that you have to look at and go, you know, this would be aided if the Saints didn't go out and draft so many projects. And this happens on the defensive side quite a bit. Marcus Davenport was an example of that. I think many would consider Peyton Turner an example of that, so on and so forth. And so for me, I think that when you look at changing the prototype or changing the draft philosophy at offensive tackle, 
it probably doesn't really come down to size. Like the Saints have their mold, six foot six, six foot seven, six foot five, even when it comes to height, between 305 to 325 pounds. I would even say 310 to 325, and guys that are athletic and can move. Ryan Ramchick's that guy. Teron Armstead was that guy. Um, uh, 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 Trevor Penning has elements of that as well. I don't think athleticism has really ever been a part of Trevor Penning's problem, right? And so I think the thing that you're looking at, and even Andrews Pete was a guy that was drafted because of his athleticism. Now, it was also his mass and his tuchus, as uh, as uh, Sean Payton said, in other words that rhymed. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. This is a family show. You're on lockdown, say. Um, so for me, I think the thing that you're looking at is like, they probably don't change that prototype. That's kind of the prototype that you want for this new system. You want athletic offensive linemen that can you know, get to the sideline that can pull, that can um, get to the second level, that can, you know, lead your playmakers in us in the screen game that can, you know, pull outside and block when it comes to, you know, the outside zone, all these other things. So I think you still want that athleticism, but here's where I think you get better is you get the experience and you don't draft the projects anymore. Like I highlighted Olu Fushanu at the beginning of this week as a um, home run draft pick for the New Orleans Saints. Should he manage to fall to 14, which feels unlikely, but hey, we never know. We don't even know the 13 teams that are drafting ahead of New Orleans. We don't even know the New Orleans Saints are actually drafting at 14. So we'll have to wait and see what happens there. But experience, over 1,300 pass blocking snaps or over 1,300 snaps played when it comes to Ole Fashano. And during that time, over the course of three years, zero sacks allowed. So experience, right? You look at everybody else that we've looked at in the offensive line in this draft, Talisa Fuaga coming out of Oregon State, experienced. You can get into the second round with guys like Patrick Paul from the University of Houston, Graham Barton from Duke, uh, BYU tackle, uh, Kingsley Suamataia. Like there's all of these guys that are incredibly athletic and and can do all of the things that you want them to be able to do in this Clint Kubiak system in terms of, you know, going, getting outside and, and blocking and pulling and getting the second level, leading the way downfield for your playmakers in the screen game, all of that. And then have a ton of experience doing it against good pass rushers at their level. The Pac-12 has produced good pass rushers over the last three to four years. The Big Ten has produced good pass rushers over the last three to four years. The SEC, the same. The Big 12, the same. There are all of those pieces there. And so while you can find the athleticism and all these other things, you can't be relying on the guy from Hofstra to make the leap at offensive line in 2024 when offensive line talent coming out of college isn't that great consistently across the board, right? So you're looking at maybe 10 very good tackles in this year's class. That's excellent, but it is the exception. So get while the getting's good here and go out there and get you not only, not only the athletic guy, not only the guy with good character, not only the guy that's maybe been a team captain or something like that, but go and get the guy too that's done it, done it well, done it consistently, and done it against high-level talent. And you can find that in this year's draft. So that's the thing for me is go out there and find the guy that's able to get that done. And we'll keep that in mind as we get into Monday's mock draft and we take a look at the um, ideas around like you know experience at offensive tackle, all that stuff. So we'll get into all of that on Monday. Coming up next, we're going to take a look at how the New Orleans Saints could get ahead of the curve that's currently being set by defenses in today's NFL. We got that coming up for you as we continue on to wrap up today's episode of Locked on Saints, part of Locked on Podcast Network, your team 
every day. This next segment is brought to us by our sponsor, BetterHelp. Look, there's always times where you need the opportunity to get something off of your chest. Big or small, certain things can really start to get to you. So it's important to make sure you let those things out, especially to somebody that's a little bit unbiased in your life. So today, I want to say about how I really feel about something. And I know you're thinking the same thing, too, is that I need the cap nerds to just chill out for a second. Okay, like we understand, we get it. Eventually, the New Orleans Saints are going to have to, quote unquote, take their medicine. They'll do that for one or two years and then move right along with their days, move right along with their ability to be competitive while trying to stay competitive right now. And it's all worth it. It's all worth it if you're going to be competitive. Now what the New Orleans Saints need to do is go out there and be competitive. Look, therapy can be different for everyone. We've all got bigger problems than our favorite sports teams and all that. So it's important to get those things off your chest every once in a while. So if you've been thinking about trying therapy, BetterHelp is the way to go. It is entirely online, designed to be flexible and suited to your schedule. Go ahead and visit betterhelp.com slash locked on today to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash locked on. Let's get it, Houdat Nation. The New Orleans Saints have the opportunity here to really get ahead of the curve over on the offensive side of the football based upon what today's NFL defenses are doing. We're going to be breaking that down here. We appreciate you very much making Locked on Saints your first listen of the day every day. Don't forget to go and check out that Locked on Sports today, 24-7 national sports stream, the first of its kind on YouTube. You can subscribe on YouTube right now over at Locked on Sports today to check it out. All right, so... um. The New Orleans Saints have a really unique opportunity here to really get ahead of the curve when it comes to what the new, what kind of defenses are doing across the league. Um, I was on ESPN Radio NOLA over at like Katie's over in Mid City with Gus Kattengill, John Forcade, them, and, and all of them yesterday. Um, and one of the things that we were talking about was Patrick Mahomes and his average depth of touchdown thrown years ago, let's just say, being like, 17 yards per touchdown throw or touchdown pass. Um, this year, it was like three yards, three between three and four yards, three point something yards. And we were talking about why that is. And I think that like a lot of people will see that and then they'll go, oh, okay, well, that's because like the receivers weren't as good. They were relying on the run game. And so they were in shorter touchdown situations and things like that. But really, like it's less about the offense. And it's more about what NFL defenses have been doing. More and more NFL defenses have been going, and this has been happening over the course of the past few years, and now we're seeing offenses change because of it, is two high shells with two deep safeties, take away your deep ball, we're daring you to run the football, or we're daring you to nickel and dime us down the field. That's what defenses are doing across the league. And so when Patrick Mahomes' touchdown, average depth of target on touchdowns goes from 17 yards to three yards over the course of a certain span of years, that's not by accident, right? That's, some of that is because defenses are forcing you to do certain things. But the other piece of it too is that you're evolving your offense to counteract that. So let's look at the Green Bay Packers, for instance, right? The Green Bay Packers have really stepped up their usage of two back um, backfields, right? Having two running backs on the field. We've seen this in Minnesota. We've seen this in Cleveland. We've seen this in San Francisco as well. So while the defenses are getting smaller and faster and they're putting more coverage players on the field, the trend for offenses is shifting to, well, heck, let's just get bigger on offense, get more two tight end sets out there, get more two running back sets out there, and let's run it down their face until they come down and load the box and then we can go over the top and then we can get the passing game going and things like that. So this is a part of the whole like 
oh, the run game sets up the passing game. And, and that's true, but it's really just counteracting the defense, right? You're, you're trying to, you're playing chess when you play football. It's why I don't buy into the whole, uh, oh, the NFL scripted, blah, blah, blah. Because A, first of all, there's no way that many people could keep their mouth shut. Zero chance that somebody doesn't get mad and, and out everything. Zero chance that somebody doesn't go against the grain and screw up the script or whatever. Like zero chance any of that's happening. And this is a big thing because you're watching the constant back and forth and change and give and take and all that of the NFL. Anyway, that's my personal segment for the day. Getting back to football, <laughs> actual football. Um, the other thing that I look at for the Saints, though, is not only the ability to start building your run game a bit, which is going to be a concerted effort to continue to do that here in New Orleans with Clint Kubiak. Have I already said Clint Kingsbury at any point today? I might have. I don't know. Clint Kubiak. Um, as they you know, kind of get everything built and structured and everything, like you're going to see a concerted effort and focus on the run game and getting that going. But the other piece of it is, remember what I said about what defenses are kind of saying, we'll dare you to run the ball, we dare you to nickel and dime us down the field. The Saints are going to be ready to nickel and dime down the field in this new system. Andrew Janoko, who's a guy that comes in with a big time focus on the quick passing game, teaching that the quarterback's the three-step drop game, he's going to have, along with Clint Kubiak, Derek Carr ready to drop back three yards and then dish something four and then try to pick up 20. You know what I mean? Like, this is the thing. So let's look at the San Francisco 49ers, for instance, who in years past have always sort of been top 10 when it comes to third and eight through 10, but yet their average depth of target on those downs, six yards, not 11 yards, not nine yards, not 10 yards. It's been like six. So what does that tell you? What it tells you is that they're totally comfortable delivering a pass short of the sticks, which is very different than what we saw from the New Orleans Saints last year, where they were either trying to, to gun it beyond the sticks, which, hey, go ahead and be aggressive on third down, or they're throwing behind the line of scrimmage. And let's just not with that, right? So what you see instead is throw short of the sticks, but then have the playmakers that are ready to catch the passes and be able to go up there and pick up the yardage for you, pick up that extra yardage. Um, you look at, you know, it was funny. We, we were talking about it. Like John Forcade has a, an 88 yard touchdown pass in his, in his career, which is one of the longest touchdown passes in Saints history. And he held that for a while, I think until, until Drew Brees hit Brandon Cooks down a sideline for like 90 something yards that one time. Incredible play. Uh, but, uh, that pass was not 40 yards through the air, 30 yards through the air. It was like three yards. It was like five yards. You know what I mean? And th that was what John was talking about. And and like, this is, the, this is what I always say about how like what you're watching happen in the NFL right now isn't vastly different than what was happening in the NFL decades ago. That's why you see like ebbs and flows, trends that come and circle around and everything like goes around, comes around kind of stuff and things being rehashed and all that in the league. So if teams, defenses are still going to settle to this too high, dropping a little bit of depth on the linebacker in the middle of the field, not Tampa two style, not Tampa zone style, but still dropping down a little bit of depth there and opening up the middle of the field. The Shanahan Kubiak system is one that's built to attack that crossing routes over the middle of the field, play action, getting your run game going, quick passing game. All of those pieces are a big part of that. If you want to see your offensive line improve, by the way, all of those tenants go towards improving your offensive line as well because you're getting the ball out quickly, right? So I think that like what you're really looking for from this New Orleans Saints team in terms of their ability to be able to kind of get ahead of the curve of NFL defenses is to be able to now make that decision to get back to nickel and diming with dynamic playmakers getting the ball in their hands and picking up additional yardage, doing all those other things, getting the ball out of the hands of the quarterback quickly, playing a clean game of high percentage throws, but 
game-breaking ability at the skill position, uh, at those skill positions. And I think there's some of that that the Saints still need to find. There's some of that that they already have. And so finding the right pieces to add to what you already have will go a long way in terms of being able to do that. So as these defenses try to take away the deep ball, if the New Orleans Saints can start to operate more efficiently, 15 to zero yards downfield, let's say one to zero, one to 15 yards downfield. Let's say it that way, right? Let's get, let's get ahead of the line of scrimmage here. Uh, one to 15 yards downfield. And of course, utilizes the behind the scrimmage game in terms of screens and things like that, which we saw like almost wiped off the face of the Saints offense over the course of the past couple of years. So if they're able to get all of those pieces back together and get the dynamic playmakers added and continue to feed the dynamic playmakers that they already have, then they're going to be able to get ahead of what defenses are doing across the league right now. And there's a real opportunity to be able to do that before the defenses overcorrect or get correct. And then offenses have to recorrect based on that. So we'll see how the New Orleans Saints get it done. But I do think that there's a valid opportunity here to get ahead of the curve of NFL defenses. Can they do it? That's what we'll find out in the 2024 season. Appreciate you very much as always, y'all, for making Locked on Saints a part of your day and for being here with us every single day, making us your first listen of the day. For your second listen, you got to go check out Locked on Pelicans. I mean, just an absolute dismantling of the Houston Rockets last night. I was there in the building. Make sure you're going to check out Jake Madison, breaking it all down and why Herb Jones deserves to be a first team uh, all defense, NBA all defense, all that good stuff. And of course, make sure you're going and checking out Caroline Fenton over at Lockdown LSU, still having a lot of fun with that big upset over Kentucky. We appreciate you very much as always making Lockdown Saints a part of your day, part of your routine for saying yes to me and the show. As always, if you see me, please say hi. And if you need anything else around your New Orleans Saints in between these episodes, make sure you follow me on your favorite social media at Ross Jackson, N-O-L-A. Hit me up. Let me know how the family's doing. Let me know how you're living. Let me know how you're mom and them. And trust you, that nation, I'll holler at you.